welcome to Black Doctors Speak, where each week we bring you the kind of expert healthcare information you need to keep you and your family safe and healthy. Now our host, renowned medical practitioner and former president of the National Medical Association, Dr. Michael Lenore. We have a really good show for us today. Uh, this is Black Men's Health Month, and it's no cause for celebration because African-American men, the health of African-American men is probably at the lowest level of any ethnic group and any gender in this country. And we really need to spend more time talking about that in order to understand the problem and to find some creative solutions. And we have two very, very good guests today. Dr. Oliver Brooks is the past president of the National Medical Association. He runs a large uh, community health center in Los Angeles, Dr. Rodney Hood is a man for all seasons. He's also a past president of the National Medical Association. He's probably their unofficial historian, uh, and certainly he has a lot to say about all the issues that we're going to discuss today. But before we talk about that, man, we got to talk about the Delta virus. The Delta virus. I mean, that's on everybody's mind. Delta virus is a variant. It comes from India. Now, what many people don't understand about variants, well, they should look at our post tomorrow on blackdoctor.org on the African-American Wellness Project that discusses what variants are. Now, most people don't understand that variants are imperfect portraits of the virus. So when you have millions of viruses replicating, you're going to get some bad ones. But some of the bad ones have some qualities that make them more effective in either causing disease or death. And so that the Delta virus arose out of India. Now, all you got to do is look at CNN, see all those people who are sick in India, how bad the virus has affected that country. And that is a fertile Petri dish for the development of variants. It was called the Indian virus, but that became too political. So now it's called the Delta virus. I'm not sure why. But in any event, it's taken over in England and about 6% of Americans have it. The estimate is by the middle of the fall, it will be the predominant virus. Now, when they have these viruses that become variants, what they do is that they have qualities that make them more infectious and more dangerous. And if you're not vaccinated, then they're more dangerous to you. And so consequently, I think those of you who are not vaccinated, who are waiting on whatever information you're waiting on, then I think that's going to be a problem. Um, I, I know that you told me, Mr. Dean, that in certain states, less than 20% of Black people have yeah. been vaccinated. That means if you at a club or, or you at a family reunion, you're at church, and you're around six people, four of them have the virus, have the, are not vaccinated. Right. And maybe the guy making the barbecue is not vaccinated. <laughs> so you need to start to... Put, you need to start thinking about what you're going to do to protect you, to protect yourself and your family. And so consequently, vaccination doesn't completely eliminate uh, this, but I think that vaccination will help us. And maybe Dr. Brooks or Dr. Hood has something to say about that. Well, you know, the, the way I, I always learned it, and, and you know, so I, I don't have the, the lofty title of doctor in front of my name, but I do know I have learned enough and I've talked to enough doctors to learn this that um, variants are always creating viruses are always because they're replicating all the time. And so it's like if you went to your copier in your office and you 
cop you're copying a document multiple times, there's going to be a little bit of it's going to be off. It's not going to be like the original. And so that's what the variance And a lot of the times we don't even come in contact. We may come in contact with a variant and not have it. But every once in a while, there's a variant that is a, it, it replicates a little bit faster. It connects a little bit faster. It, 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 it infects us a little bit different than the original virus that we came in contact with. And that's why it's such a debilitating. That's why we have to get a handle on it and vaccinate ourselves. So those, so the virus itself doesn't have as many hosts to replicate in and create those variants. And so that's why when we're pushing for people to get vaccinated as quickly as possible, it's so we can reduce the opportunity for that variant to con- that virus to continue to replicate and create more harmful and more deadly variants um, in the population. And it seems that what's happened with what's happening over in India is what's happening with this Delta variant that it has come on popped up because when that variant it realizes, oh, this works better, that variant is now starting to replicate and get out into more and more populations. So thank you for that, Jessica, for the for that shout out. So um that's what I've learned. So I I say that for all the people that that don't have doctors and don't and have that GED uh, after that name. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't automatically imbue with any special quality. But Dr. Brooks, you want to say anything about the variants? Bring Dr. Brooks in. Hold on. Let's get Dr. Brooks on in. There we go. All right. Well, first of all, good evening to you, Dr. Lenore and Mr. Dean. Happy to be in on this forum. Uh, you guys always give good information. Now, the only thing I'll say is that I think it's important for African-Americans to understand the concept of vaccinating is twofold. And that is to protect yourself and also to protect your community. So that concept that if the community is vaccinated, the variants don't get a chance to spread or you don't even get the development of variants. So for those of you who are saying, I'm not getting vaccinated, not only are you doing harm to yourself and putting risk to you and your family, but you are not supporting the herd immunity we need for our community. Dr. Hood, you have anything you want to say about that? Yeah, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Lenore and Mr. Dean and my uh, good friend, Dr. Brooks. Uh, I I just want to add what I simply tell my patients, and I've been looking at this for the past year. Right now, people are still getting real sick, going to the hospital and dying. All of those folks have not been vaccinated. The ones who are not getting sick, going to the hospital and dying are the ones that are vaccinated. So you need to get vaccinated. Yeah, so I think that it's pretty clear that that even if you talk about how you know insignificant the disease itself can be, I think we know that there's something called the long haul. We talked about that last time, that a lot of the people with the new variant, uh, they're vomiting, they're losing their hearing, and they're younger. And so consequently, I think you have to start to think and read, and, and if you've decided not to get vaccinated, keep trying to get information uh, at least uh, you'll make an informed decision. All right, so we'd like to move away from that, uh, Mr. Dean, and start to talk about the health of black men. This is Black Men's Health Month. No cause for celebration because African-American men are at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to life expectancy, when it comes to the chronic disease. An African-American male in this country lives six years less than males, uh, than either white males or black women or white women. And so consequently, uh, this is a this is something that is really that defies 
description because it really is not related only to socioeconomic groups. African-American men who who are in big, you know, in big jobs and executives in big companies and, uh, you know, have high positions in the government. They're dying still six years less. And so consequently, we want to explore some of that tonight, not only from a historic perspective, but also from the perspective of what we uh, what we need, what's happening today, and what we need to do. So first, I'd like to ask Dr. Brooks, how bad is it? Uh, it's it's bad. You said the six-year decrease in the lifespan. I mean, life is what it's all about. So if, if you are not living as well as long, um, then you're suffering. You didn't mention morbidity, which means sickness as opposed to mortality. So a lot of these African-American men that have not died may have loss of limb from diabetes, be on uh, dialysis from hypertension, uh, have prostate cancer that was undiagnosed and is metastasizing because they didn't go in and get a checkup. So this is the real thing. All you have in the end is your health. I will note that married men tend to live, live longer. So if, if if you want to do one thing to take care of yourself, grab yourself a good woman and marry her. Um, men generally have women to take care of them. My wife tends to make my doctor appointments for me. So I think that we we have to really, on a serious note, understand that you know the black family is the is the backbone of our community, and the black man and black woman together are the backbone. And if we're dying, then the whole community is suffering. So again, I get back to the concept of if you, if you need motivation, you're just not going to go in, even though you know you're hypertensive and not taking your medicine, your cholesterol is high, uh, you know you're pre-diabetic and you're obese, then think about the damage you're doing to the community just by being sick. Yeah, my wife, she she kind of intimidates me. She always says, that, did you make the doctor's appointment? I said, you know, well, you know, I'm Come on, call tomorrow. She said, the next day she said, have you called about that doctor's appointment? I mean, and she makes her appointments the minute that they are due. Mm -hmm. And does not let me get away with trying to avoid those doctor's appointments. And so I think that that's one thing that I think uh, is important that we need to start to think about. And that is the way in which we handle our own health systems. Uh, I think that uh, it's important for us to understand just how much um, we are how far we are behind in terms of chronic disease. And if you look at who we are, uh, Dr. Hood, people have, people say that, you know, African-Americans have the problem because black men live unhealthy lifestyles. They live dangerous lifestyles. And that's why they're dying more often. It has nothing to do with access to care or unconscious bias and some of the other things. What say you do about to that? Don't get me started, Dr. Lenore. Black men die earlier in America because they live in America, which is a racist society. That is a, a primary factor to adding to the short longevity of African-Americans. So let me start out by uh, stating, yes, of all the ethnic groups within this country, African-American men have the lowest life expectancy than all other ethnic groups. There's some multifactorial reasons uh, behind that, but it really goes back to the DNA of the health system of this uh, country. Um, there are several books written. I often quote in American Health Dilemma, 
written by uh, public health uh, specialist, uh, Dr. Michael Bird, who uh, recently passed this year, and his wife, Linda Clayton. And they document the historic aspect of racism uh, going all the way back before slavery, into slavery, and after slavery. And we talk about racism and discrimination, but it was really dehumanization of, of, of Black folks. So in order to be able um, to treat Blacks in the manner that they have over the past centuries, uh, it was really uh, a system of dehumanization uh, led by uh, white uh, scientists in Europe, white scientists here in this country, and white uh, physicians. One of the most lucrative uh, positions uh, during uh, slavery was being a slave physician. Yes, uh, we got some uh, uh, medical care, probably got better medical care during slavery because we were considered property than uh, after slavery. And um, the uh, slave physicians got paid very well, as well as the uh, physicians who were on slave ships. Very uh, the, uh, the physician on the slave ship got paid only second to the uh, captain. And they uh, did that because uh, they were trying to keep their, quote, property alive because we were treated and, and as a property. So when we got sick, uh, they used science to suggest that our sickness was because we were inferior. But, but Dr. Good, let me challenge a notion here. You know, uh, it's, not, it's not the system that makes you obese. It's not the system that makes you lack exercise. It's not the system that keeps you from looking at, you know, getting regular doctor visits. Are we not, are we not implicit in some of this? Everybody's implicit in everything that happens in their life, but you can talk about your individual accountability and the collective accountability. The system has an accountability and the system has never been accountable to black folks. And, uh, and is it, it's, uh, uh, people who have resources, it's easier for them to be accountable for their own health. If you have resources, uh, you may have resources to join a gym, get healthy food, uh, find a place to exercise that's safe. If you live, if you're black and you suffer what I call racialized poverty uh, because of the structural poverty that was uh, created, it's very difficult at times to eat healthy. Uh, exercise uh, healthy and lead a, a healthy uh, lifestyle. So yes, individual responsibility. And, and in America, we always talk about individual responsibility. And uh, because we're making too much money off of the uh, system that is making money off of uh, six folks. Dr. Brooks, what do you think? Don't we have some accountability? Are we responsible as black men for some of the issues and some of the statistics that make us less healthy? Well, you know, honestly, yes, we have some accountability, like uh, Dr. Hood said, you know, ultimately we are responsible for our own health and everyone is accountable to themselves when they look in the mirror. Um, America is built on individualism, as Dr. Hood said, and uh, so that collectivism is not there. So when you look at individualism, we are we're starting from behind. Um, you know, we say pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What happens if you only have one bootstrap or if your your, your boots are, are worn and torn? So I, I think that we, we have to. And as he said appropriately, you're more likely to be able to take care of yourself 
when you're in a better position. I saw someone in the chat box put, uh, we live in food deserts. 20% of black people live in a food desert. So it's really hard to get healthy food. We live in areas where there are high rates of air pollution uh, and there's less ability to exercise. So we, we can't do that. Um, we're more likely to not have health insurance. So it's harder to get that. But that being stated, Dr. Lenore, ultimately, yes, yeah, so the message should not be, woe is me. And the yeah. message should not be, you know, oh, I'm this, therefore, it's someone else's fault. Maybe the message should be all these things are true. Therefore, we need to redouble our efforts. But my approach to that also is the concept of um, collectivism. Like BlackDoctor.org has this together. We need to work together to get to this other place. Um, th there are some people that feel segregation was better for us than integration. We had our own doctors. We had our own newspapers. We had our own businesses, our own schools. And so we collectively took care of ourselves. Now that we're spread out, then the society. You know, can, I, can I say one thing? Can I say one thing? This is this always bothers me about America, and that is the whole bootstrap um, theology that that gets pushed upon the population. Like somehow, like America was not built on people pulling themselves up by that bootstrap. It was built by force, and it was built by forced labor. It was built by taking things, and it was built upon the backs of many other people. And sometimes collaborating and sometimes just taking it. So this bootstrap mentality that you try to push out is basically a, a theory to push upon to keep poor people working very, very hard to hopefully one day be able to rub elbows with, with, with the rich and the plantation owners. So it's like, oh, you've got to pull yourself up by your, you know, you don't need help. And so we've adopted that. The people that are working, the working class people have adopted this bootstrap mentality when it doesn't, it's not really real. It, it, is, a, yeah. it is a theme that is pushed upon the masses. And so I'm sorry, yeah. I, I had to get that off my chest because I, I, it burns me to hear that bootstrap. So let me say this, because everybody's always talking about uh, stop uh, um, uh, acting like a victim. Right. Uh, we're all victims. If you're a black man in America, you're a victim. Okay, uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a victim. It's it, it it's just what you do about it. Number one. Right. Number two. We need to uh, change our individual collective accountability as as an individual man to get healthy. But we also need to understand how the system is not accountable because our children are growing up in that system and will develop poor, unhealthy habits. So we need to find a way to make the system more accountable. So when I point out the fact that the system is, is adding to our unhealthiness, it's an education for us to understand what we need to do with the system to make it more accountable, not only for us, but for our children. I hate to play the devil's advocate, but look, we've been doing these programs about diabetes and hypertension and the things that you need to do to be healthy. I mean, we talk about we talk about the way in which these diseases form. We talk about ways in which you can do. I mean, even if you don't have a gym, you can run the lake, you can walk, you can do other things. Are we not at least complicit in some ways by the fact that we are really not taking care of ourselves in the ways that we've been talking about, Rodney, for the last 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and Michael, you're sitting up here, Dr. Michael Lenore, Dr. Right. Rodney Hood. I get out exercise. I got a personal trainer, my brother. I do not live in a food desert. Are we I talking about us training. individually or are we talking about us collectively? Uh -huh. And I think that if we're talking about us collectively, we, we have to 
talk about solutions for us collectively mm -hmm. and not just individually. But I think you're right. We should all be on a plant-based diet. We should all be exercising. We should be exercising on a regular basis. I don't think we should be eating meat. I think we should learn to meditate, decrease our stress level, and, and uh, decrease our allostatic load, because I think all of that adds to our poor health. And my, Dr. Mike, let me add one other thing. I think that there are many, many Black men that are doing what you're saying. So I mean, we, we still show you know some bad statistics as it relates to our health and wellness. But I know here at my health center, for example, we have some diabetes classes and we have of the 40 that enrolled in this or 38 that went through, half of them reduced their A1C. So I think we also have to understand that concept of the, you know, on the, the nightly news that leads with the black man who you know, robbed the liquor store. We need to put that picture up of that black man who went out there and did exercise and did eat right and lowered his A1C because there are success stories out there. I think, I think it's a I think it's a dual thing. I think one first of all, Dr. Laura, we have to do you're right, we have to take personal responsibility for our health, right? So I I, I can't and but it doesn't stop there. And I think the mm -hmm. American individual society says it stops there with you. If I'm healthy, then I'm good. I don't have to worry about anybody else. But as part of a as part of an ethnic group, as part of an ethnic minority group, we are viewed as a collective. And so, if it, and so, in that space, once I get healthy, it becomes my responsibility to lend whatever knowledge I gain to become healthy to the collective, and say, okay, here's how I did it. Here's what you can do. Encourage each other, support one another on that health journey. I have a friend right now from college. He is over like 350 pounds, and he is way overweight, morbidly obese. He has now started exercising, working out. He posts his video on social media. And I make it a point to put the like button, to put the love button, to send him encouraging messages, to call him and say, keep up the good work because I want to see him healthy. I can't just say, well, that's his journey. He let himself get that way. I've got to say, I've got to support this brother in his journey because if he gets healthy, then we all get healthier as a community. And these healthy uh, habits start when we're young. Uh, as the pediatrician, Dr. Lenore, you know about ACEs, uh, uh, adverse childhood events. And it's been shown that events that happen early in childhood, negative uh, stressful events, divorce, drug abuse, uh, trauma, all of those things, as you get older, you have more chronic diseases. And in the first study that they did on ACEs, what it, they had, it, it was done in Kaiser patients, thousands of Kaiser patients, but a subset of those patients in Kaiser were black and brown. Guess who had the highest ACE scores? Black folks. So it starts young. And even though subconsciously we don't realize it as we get older, that results in diseases, asthma, diabetes, number one. The whole study of allostatic load, the chronic indolent stress of living in America as a black man, increasing your cortisol level. We think it doesn't bother us, but it does. So that is not just individual. That's a collective system that we need to recognize and find a way to deal with. And, and, and let, if I may add something to that, first of all, I think what what Ellis said is important. Right now, the National Medical Association is involved in a program called Release the Pressure, where black women measure their own blood pressure. But the second step of it is they, they, they uh, hone in on their squad. Mm -hmm. 
So they get with other women to get along with the program to monitor and reduce your blood pressure. Men, this is men's health, are less likely to do something like what you said, Alice. So then we have to, as we talk about what we're talking about, get back to the concept of our, our men, we have to be more comfortable with sharing information like that. It's not just the women who go together and go, you know, my wife works out with a bunch of women uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, we have to be more comfortable. It almost gets around to what Mike was saying. We, Dr. Lenore, we, we have to decide that we're going to do things differently because it, it is what Rodney said, what Dr. Hood said is really important. That ACEs is, is clearly accurate. And these are things that, and these are things that happen in childhood that show up with your higher degree of a stroke, or kidney disease if you had a score of four or greater in these ACEs scores. You can't change that. And it happens in your zip code. You can't change that. So, But I think at the same time, we got to look at solutions and not just bemoan the fact of where we are. So I think both things are true. You got, you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from. So but we I think, to know but this I think history. You can change we that. can go somewhere else. You can I change that. that. Our special guest, Dr. Rodney Hood, past president of the National Medical Association, a physician uh, a premier in San Diego, California, uh, and Dr. Oliver Brooks, also a past president of the National Medical Association. Uh, at this time, we'd like to uh, take a bit of a break, uh, and uh, we want to hear from uh, someone, uh, one of our uh, leaders in our effort to get people vaccinated. Someone might surprise you. I understand the hesitancy and the resistance that some folk may have to taking the COVID-19 vaccine. And you absolutely have a right to feel hesitant. The COVID is real. And I know from firsthand experience, I had it. I wouldn't wish COVID on anyone. I fully recovered, but I don't want to ever be that sick again. You and all the people that you love are at risk from COVID-19 infection. So please get vaccinated for yourselves, your family, and your community. Thank you. I think um, to bring up a, an interesting um, point, and I think we have to get beyond that. So what, what Dr. Brooks was talking about before the break is Absolutely true. So one of the things that, you know, again, in terms of when you start understanding your own health and wellness and how that whole process works, you start leaning into it. And so what me and some of my friends here where I live are we do each month is we get together as a group of men and it's kind of more like a group therapy, mental health moment where we sit around and we we talk about what's what's bothering us our problems our issues we give each other advice and we let it all out what what happens is we shut the door the wives are out and we just talk to get, we talk about that as men and that helps reduce that stress level we talk about what's going on in our lives talk about our fears our thoughts whatever we're going through and then we can go out and face the world a little bit better i think what happens is we kind of get this gender-based messaging that says we've got to be strong and as black men we've got to even be stronger because we live in america as black men so we've got to even be stronger as this independent individual strong black man and that's killing us that's not working the statistic that you just pointed out earlier that is not working so we've got to find a new way you know the definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior expecting a different result so we've got to do something different if we expect our health outcomes to be different 
Yeah, one of the things that uh, is interesting about this whole process, and here, here again, I, I still think personal accountability is critical. Uh, let's go back, Rodney, to uh, where this all started. I mean, I think that the impression of African-American men with unhealthy lifestyles probably started when we got here, didn't it? Well, it started uh, before we got here. Uh, uh, let's go back, uh, and I'm going to quote uh, some of the uh, uh, readings in, uh, in American Health Dilemma when it talks about the history of racism in uh, Western uh, culture, where they started with the uh, scientist J.F. Uh, Blumenbach, who was uh, uh, a scientist in uh, Europe who taught the theory on the natural variety of man. This was in uh, 1700s. And basically, he said there's a hierarchical of man. Uh, white folks at the top, blacks, then apes. And uh, they actually talked about measuring the facial angle and could prove that whites were at the top because the facial angle was closer to 90 degrees. They actually incorporated some of this racism within the Greek uh, uh, architecture. And, and, and then we had uh, uh, a Cuvier, who was a French uh, scientist who followed uh, uh, a South African lady by the name of Satija Bartman. Uh, they uh, called her Hottentot uh, uh, because she had a large buttocks and coached her, a physician, English physician, convinced her to leave South Africa, came to Europe, paraded her throughout Europe, degradating her like in a uh, circus. And uh, Cuvier was a physician that followed her around. She died of alcoholism. He made a, 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 um, a plastic uh, statue of her and purported to the white scientists, this proves that black folks are inferior. Uh, they've been dehumanizing Blacks for a long time. When we came over to this country uh, as uh, slaves, physicians experimented on Black folks. This is why we don't want to take the uh, vaccine. It's, it's not just uh, the uh, syphilis experiment in the uh, uh, 1930s, 1940s. They, uh, J.F., um, uh, uh, J. Marion Sims, who was considered the father of women's health, operated on black slaves without anesthesia till he perfected his uh, procedure. And uh, uh, Cartwright was another a physician who came up with the term drapedomania, meaning runaway madness. If blacks ran away from slavery, they had to be crazy. And he coined another term, which I suffered with, dysesthesia ethiopica, because he said, if you whip them, give them a little freedom, they'll do better. But some of them slaves, when you whipped them and they still ran away, he said they suffer with dysesthesia ethiopica, rebelliousness. So anytime we rebelled against slavery, we, we were labeled crazy or insane. We were treated inhumanely. And then even after slavery, they started Jim Crow. I don't even know why we use the word Jim Crow because it doesn't highlight the terror that took place during the 100 years of Jim Crow when they lynched us, when they uh, uh, subjugated us to some of the worst treatment that the world has ever known. We now know about Tulsa. Most, of, uh, most Black folks know about that for a long time. White folks are calling me up saying, I didn't know things like that happened. So um, if you're terrorized for hundreds of years, this, get, this gets into the DNA of our country and of our minds. And so even as Black men who are successful, I think that affects us 
and they're beginning to be able to uh, uh, measure that chronic indolent stress in something called allostatic load. And they now see that blacks have higher allostatic load as measured by blood pressure and stress. So sometimes the excess blood pressure has to do with stress that we may not be noting as stress. So getting back to what uh, Dr. Brooks said about ACEs and what happens, and there's nothing you can do as you get older, I believe it's possible that we can. Now that we understand that, I think we need to have earlier intervention, especially in our youngsters, to try to change that uh, behavior. Yeah, I think ultimately we gotta we gotta change change narratives, and we can't let the narratives of what, what especially what happens in the traditional public school system uh, shape our belief system about ourselves. And so I think in terms of that collective uh, mentality that we have to have, that collective uh, health mentality, we have to have a collective education mentality that comes with it. So one of the things when I was in graduate school, one of the things I learned that boys, particularly black boys, have the same or higher vocabulary rate of any other ethnic group or child, but they're not encouraged to speak out in class. And so what happens is the mentality forms is, oh, they're they're delayed in terms of their pro their speaking process, their, their learning process, their word processing process. And then that bias follows them throughout and until they get to the fourth grade. And then that fourth grade is what when they take that test, that is the, the prison of pipeline that starts at, at the fourth grade. And so that pipeline to prison. So what we've got to do is we've got to stop that mentality. We've got to get that information out to understand that our boys are just as good or even better at that age mentally, intellectually, at, at superior. And so therefore, and not even superior, just intellectually capable and, and on the same level. And if we can get that information out to our families and to our children and, and work from that space, now we don't have to work on the system because the system won't affect us and it won't work on us. So sometimes we got to work on the system, but sometimes we got to work on ourselves so the system doesn't work on us. And, and that that's really what we got to get out of that mindset of the things that we do. And there's there's many ways, many biases that we even accept as our as our own about our own people. We accept it because that's a narrative that's been created since 1619. Mm -hmm. Given all the statistics that we've been talking about, and given the number of years in which we've known about the dynamics on the health of black men. Where do we go from here? What do we do? What do we need to do as black doctors? What do we need to do as those of us interested in the health of black men? One of the things that disturbs me as much as anything else is that, and maybe it shouldn't disturb me, but economic stability does not guarantee a change in these statistics for black men. We're the only ethnic group whose statistics don't change as you move up the socioeconomic ladder. I know there are some creative ways to approach this. Uh, what say you, Dr. Woods? What's Dr. Hood? What say you, Dr. Brooks? Well, I, I, I'm I'm going to suggest this, Mike, and I don't I don't want to sound too uh, pessimistic, but uh, I I do think it may be too late for us, but not too late for our children. <laughs> so I believe we need to have our own schools. We really do, um, and in that to uh, supplement what they're getting in, in the schools now. Um, I grew up in uh, Boston. Um, uh, my mother uh, made sure that I had a bunch of eclectic friends. One of them was Jewish. And I noticed on the weekend, he would always say, well, I need to go to school. And I'm saying, well, why is he, this Jewish boy, going to school on the weekend? 
And so I asked him, I said, well, can I come? He said, well, he had to ask his father. Long story short, uh, my mother said, okay. His father said, okay. And I went to this um, uh, school. I, I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday. And it was a building. And the Jewish kids had classes from young all the way up to uh, high school, not teaching about Judaism, but they were teaching about banking. They were teaching about um, uh, 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 their uh, scientists. We don't teach our own. When I first moved out to California, I was in San Francisco. Some of the uh, Chinese also had their own school. And I, and, and, and I think that uh, one, one way to think of starting to break that is that us who have the education should think of maybe starting weekend schools to not just for our children, but for the uh, collective children to start teaching about self. So you know, along, along the similar concept of what Rodney said, uh, it comes from a collectivism. So I think that that basic concept that I mentioned earlier, I think that segregation might have been better for us than integration. Um, the NMA is working toward increasing the number of African-American doctors. And there was a study done in Oakland that showed that black men, interestingly enough, on this Black Men's Month, who got treated, who received treatment from black cardiologists had better outcomes than those that were treated by a white cardiologist. Um, and it said, if that happened throughout, if we increase the same number of black doctors to mirror our population, we would save 18,000 lives a year or something like that. So we need more black doctors. Right now, one in eight in the population of US are black people, only one in 15 doctors are black. So if we could double the number of black doctors, we would have about one in eight doctors in the US and one in eight in the population. That in and of itself would decrease the morbidity and the mortality rate of African-Americans. That simple, well, simple, not easy. I put in my wrote a book called Simple, Not Easy. But that simple action of increased number of black doctors would change the dynamic. What is going to change the mindset uh, of a lot of our, uh, well, first of all, trying to understand the dynamics of racism, the allopathic load. I, I think that becomes an unconscious uh, issue that many African-Americans, what, what can we do to get the word out about that? Here's what frustrates me. We, I, we could have had the same conversation, Dr. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, yet mm -hmm. the statistics remain the same. What is the linchpin? Where, where are the creative solutions? Uh, schools, obviously, uh, when we're in segregated schools, obviously, I have a prejudice uh, for that but because of my experience. But what, what, where, what are we missing here? Where is the missing piece that will move us further ahead than we were 30 years ago? Well, Michael, there is no one piece. Okay, I, I, I swear, and, and I, I, I totally agree with Oliver having more doctors is going to help. But I've been uh, a doctor for over 40 years, and uh, probably 30 of those years I've been studying and teaching about health disparities, the history of blacks. Uh, I've been uh, uh, focused on black patients, getting them well, and disparities still exist. So what is that teaching me? Yes, we need more black doctors, but we need more black other. We need more black community health workers. We need more black nurses. We need more black uh, scientists, number one. Number two, I think part of where we are is a mentality. And there's a certain, just like we talk about race, uh, white supremacy, 
many of us suffer with black inferiority subconsciously. We don't realize it. And so we need to learn more about ourselves. I'm going to read you my definition of white supremacy, a mentality of displaced arrogance supported by a fake science perpetuating false assumptions of superiority that lead to the creation and enforcement of laws, policies, beliefs, biases that favor their advancement. They have a false... I, I really think they're suffering with a huge sense of white inferiority complex because when you really study the history and found out that all men began in Africa, when they first found that out, they said, no, that's not true. Whites began in Europe. Blacks began in Africa. Now that we know we all came, that's why the genome is 99% the same. It's the African genome with mutations. So I think we need to learn more about who we are and feel comfortable about who we are. We need to start changing our mentality to get healthy. I, th I think Dr. Brooks is bringing a good point in terms of, I, I think, explaining that concept to Black others, because that concept of having a better health outcomes when you have a Black doctor is rings true and the studies have been done on that. But that also rings true when you have, when we have a Black child that has a Black teacher. One Black teacher in, the, in their life helps their education outcomes. And so when you have somebody that's reflective of you, in those key roles, whether it, you know, across the board, there tends to be better outcomes for black people. And so I think right. the concept of black others, and that's why when you've seen, when we talk about Tulsa and Roswell and all these, and I've got a, a, a picture that has more of the black massacres, those massacres are happening because blacks uh, in those cities where blacks were sort of thriving, they were not just surviving, they were thriving. Right. That becomes a problem, right? And so therefore, what we've got to do is we've got to understand that mentality. You know, one of the things that when I was um, looking to, to go on to uh, get a PhD, uh, I'd already decided what my dissertation was going to be on. And it was really going to be an experiment in psychology. It was going to be an experiment to what you were talking about, Dr. Hood, is that I was going to have a, my control group was going to my, my experimental group was going to be kids, black students that got a supplemental education after school. And that supplemental education was gonna be on black history. The control group would just get tutoring. And then there, of course, there'd be a third group that didn't get anything. And they were gonna study the outcomes in terms of their education. It was gonna be both a short-term and a longitudinal study to really kind of to talk about. And my theory was those students that got the education, supplemental education on their black history would have higher self-esteem levels, be more resistant to the narratives that get, get placed in society and they were going to perform better in school because they, they developed that black love and, and a collective mentality for our culture. And one of the things that, Amen. one of the things we have to do is an issue around black doctors and black male doctors versus black female doctors. I think we're starting to see that the number of black males going into medicine is slipping and sliding. Whereas black females are stepping ahead. That may be true in other areas as well, but it really is pretty much a crisis. One of my friends really had uh, a real determined idea to start at the community college level. How can we encourage, and maybe this is too far off our subject, but I, I, mean, I believe that having more black doctors is key to solving some of this problem. But how can we uh, encourage more young black men to go into medicine and to be successful? You know, you know, it, it gets around to, again, Dr. Dr. Um, Hood Rodney said, more other. 
So that what Ellis just said of having black teachers. So they need okay. We need to go into STEM classes first. Yeah, that's what it is. We need mm-hmm. to go into STEM, but to get into STEM, first we have to accept it. I remember when I was young, they, it being carrying books and speaking in, in, intellectually or intelligently was frowned upon. So it and it so it's it's a multifaceted thing to which we address uh, these these issues. We need we need to be um, channeled into STEM classes. To get that, it'd be good to have black doctors, I'm excuse me, black teachers early on. We need to have higher self-esteem. I think that that can't be understated. Right. It can be overstated. can be understated. We we feel in fear. You know that story study that was done 50 years ago and they showed little black girls a white doll and a black doll and they chose the white doll They won't tell me which one is pretty? I would say if you did that study now, you'd find the same outcome. So, well, well, they did it about 10 years ago, Oliver, and it, it did show the same thing. Yeah, so we had similar results. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's we we need to have a focus on, and it's funny because we know all the jobs, you come out with a degree in engineering, you pick where you want to work. When you come out with your degree in poli-sci, you have to figure out what you're going to do your master's in to try to find somewhere to work. So, and we, so we have, and we have to start early. I mean, it, it starts, you know, as well, a it's called the imposter syndrome, syndrome. Uh, in, in psychology it's called imposter syndrome that a lot of uh, um, minorities and women uh, suffer from. So when they're on their jobs with it, especially in their professional jobs, if they're uh, like doctors or lawyers or attorneys like that, they feel like they don't deserve to be there. And that just comes from the messaging that we've gotten throughout our lives that somehow, even though we have achieved that we don't really deserve to be there. And so therefore we developed a syndrome. So that's why you see a lot of black women that are overqualified for the position, black men that are overqualified for the position because they go get extra degrees, extra certification to feel like they they have to be there yeah. to feel like they have to justify that. Then they're working yeah. next to somebody that their father or their their uncle that got that job. And you're like, wait a minute, I went to all this school, I got all this debt to be in this in this in this situation. So um, there was a question that we, we're gonna, we need to ask a question because one of the one of our, our our audience wanted to know what can they do to support getting uh, the increase of black doctors. I'm putting it. Would you? Speak, they wanted us to speak more about how all of us can support the increase of black doctors, and I, and I think ultimately it is advocating uh, for black uh, children to be in STEM. Uh, we understand that 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 black teacher uh, scenario that I talked about earlier, that uh, black teacher is more apt, more likely to identify a gifted black child and put them in a gifted program versus a white teacher. It's like 50% more likely that a black teacher can identify a gifted black child and putting them in that gifted program. You know, I had to say I was a product of that. Putting them in that gifted program advances their education to a higher level because they start, it raises their confidence and their self-esteem level and they get the, the different differing level of education in that gifted program. So that advocation, being an advocate for students, uh, is a it goes a plays a big role in terms of getting them all the way through, um, getting them the help. It just all the way through high school, keeping them in those STEM programs, understanding, get, getting them out of that mentality of the only way to be successful is to work in entertainment or sports, which you know we all know that that that's very rare. It's a very tough uh, path to to success, but we'll see, but we're looking at the landscape of America. Where do we see the most successful black people in entertainment and sports? And they're all under the entertainment umbrella. And so therefore we got to get out of that mentality and say, we can use our minds as well as our bodies in order to be successful. 
what what role does the what does the institutions uh, who train physicians need to play in trying to uh, increase the number of African American physicians? What what is their responsibility? Their responsibility is to excel. I was going to say one of the things is to have more African Americans on the admissions committee for uh, colleges and for uh, medical schools and for the residencies. So that is one. So their their role is to determine and understand. And this is this is a fundamental fact of America that I think that is so interesting that I think that a lot of those in power of the majority class miss. The strength of America comes from its diversity. I mean, it's it's interesting, but, but I don't think they accept that. That that's why this is a great. We actually we're, we're in great a land that's very fertile and rich in natural resources. But beyond that, we have we was built on the black backs of blacks. But diversity is what makes us great. So they need to understand that having a diverse student population, a diverse administration, uh, diverse teachers, those are the things that will make their schools better, which will allow us to have more black doctors and improve the health. And getting back to that question, what do we have to do to get more black doctors? It's funny, I, I keep reflecting back on what Rodney said. We need more, and sorry about my my camera, my, my battery, I got this background, this light. Um, we need more black others. Mm. If we just, if we have more black, you know, administrators, if we have more black IT yeah. professionals, all these things indirectly are going to lead to yeah. better health outcomes, more black doctors, uh, higher self-esteem, because it, it is a is a it is a complex problem, and again, it can't it has to be seen in the context of four hundred and two years of oppression. Mm. So when when you when you look at it through that lens. You have to understand that it's not going to change tomorrow. There's no easy answer, but there are answers. Rodney? Totally agree. Well, I, I, I ditto. I, I, I really think, uh, yes, I'm, I'm a black physician. We absolutely need more black physicians. Data, some recent data suggested that the, with a, a similar cohort or a black patient seeing a black physician, they, they, uh, they have better outcomes. Uh, uh, they feel better. And, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a black a physician. Uh, uh, black female physicians tend to do better w than, than uh, black uh, male physicians. Uh, but in order to get to the point before you can become a physician, you need good science teachers. You need good mentors. You need good education. You need good role models. You need to see good things on TV. None of that is going to happen in a vacuum. Okay, and, and, and so that's why I agree with the Oliver. We need to start thinking about other. We need, and, and to me, we can wait to now to doomsday, but the current educational system is not going to teach our children the way and how we think we need to teach. Yes, I'm not saying they shouldn't be going to those schools, but we need to supplement them with our own schools that focus on our own culture that will strengthen their internal confidence level and get rid of that inferiority complex. 
Well, they're already rejecting it, right? So th this this whole notion of even rejecting critical race theory, even before it gets introduced into education, we already had the governor here in Georgia. I live in Georgia. We already had the governor send a letter to the school board, and they they convened a special session to reject the notion of critical race theory, and it wasn't even presented, right? So we're so we're already you're doing a preemptive strike against teaching a, a theory that could help build the self-esteem and relieve some of that that victimhood or whatever that that narrative mm -hmm. off the black students because they can say oh america was built off off of racism and so here's where it's been in embedded in all of our institutions they don't want to teach that right they yeah. want to teach this whole fairness pull yourself up situation and the only reason why we're in food de deserts and everything else that we, we talked about earlier in this program is because of our own inferiority and not because it was built yeah. in, in and redlined and gerrymandered into into special areas and so we, that's what we got to really we got to be cognizant of that and then have supplement our education where that home or in the community we've got to supplement our education yeah, we don't you, even know truth you say the term critical race theory for yep. those people who are listening what do you mean what does that mean critical race theory takes the um it, it the best way to describe it, it it takes the individual concept of racism away and so what america tries to do the, the narrative in america is if we could get rid of those individual racists we wouldn't have a race problem so that's that that guy that that shot up the the, the church he's a racist if we got rid of more guys like those are individuality what critical race theory says we take away that individual and say look Racism was built into all of the American concepts, education, government, uh, enforcement, police enforcement, um, housing, all anything that you experience, banking, anything you experience in America, racism was built into it. Yeah. And so therefore, and it's still expressing itself today. And so when we talk about the systems and how racism was built into the systems, then we can start pulling it out and purging it out because we can identify it and we all know it and see it and, and talk about the history of how racism was built in there. So, but if we don't talk about it, then we can still say, oh, that was just that one guy yeah. or that was just that one incident. We can isolate mm -hmm racism and not talk about the system. So the other way to put it, Michael, is when somebody asked me that question, I said, we have learned his story yep. and what we need to learn is history. Right. Uh, mm. We've certainly done some studies that goes on into the scientific community uh, as well. We wrote an article in the New England Journal because they want to eliminate race as a component of research. Uh, and obviously we're going to deal with that much in a much uh, more uh, general fashion. I would like to say, say that um, it's been a very lively discussion. Yeah. Uh, really important for us to understand where we are and where we came from. Uh, I still think, obviously, that uh, we have some responsibility for our own situation and that, we, that part of the solution that we always believe in the African-American Wellness Project starts from the bottom up. It starts with you. Start with you developing your own system. Mm -hmm. Obviously, clearly, we have to confront a number of barriers. I'm a bit embarrassed by my lack of knowledge of something like the Tulsa situation. And I'm sure there are hundreds of stories like that uh, that have to do with medicine uh, that Dr. Hood could relate or that are out there. But I do think that we have to recognize that we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our own survival as black men. And that we have to be soldiers in that struggle as well as insisting uh, that we all confront the enemy, 
enemy in terms of institutions. We need more black doctors. We need more black information programs. We need more black programs targeting the African-American community to, to give them better exercise places, to get better places uh, uh, to eat. We need to tell our children uh, about uh, diets and, and good health habits early. There are lots of things that need to be done. And hopefully, as we start to move forward, some of the discussions that we're having here and that they're having across the country about the health of black men uh, will resonate with black men, will resonate with the institutions uh, that take care of them. Uh, and we can at least won't have another 50 years of having to discuss these same statistics we've been discussing relatively for 400 years. I'd like to thank Dr. Brooks and Dr. Hood both of whom have given their careers to dealing with this issue. Uh, and I'd like to thank those of you who are listening to our program uh, and looking at our program and hope that you will share this particular program with other people. Thanks, Dr. Lenore, and thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Black Doctors Speak is sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, blackdoctor.org, the Markel Lenore Foundation, and the Asthma Allergy Network. You can continue the conversation on our Facebook page, Twitter, or LinkedIn at aawellnessproject.org. Also, don't miss Wellness Watch every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and the African American Wellness YouTube channel. Listening to us is as simple as telling Siri, Google, or Alexa to listen to the podcast, Black Doctors Speak.